Hello and welcome to The Found Cause. We are Founder Cause and Servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. We are going to do another reaction video. This time, we're jumping on a bandwagon. We actually found this video before it was responded to by Gavin Ortland. Then he reacted, and then this guy reacted. So, oh well, we're, we're really late on the bandwagon here, but we're going to do it anyways. You can see Sebastian and me wore our debating outfits. Um, <laughs> I woke up with a dream that I wanted to wear this this pink shirt. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be so unique. And then here comes Sebastian, also in a pink shirt. What? We're rocking it. I guess we're rocking it. Yeah. Uh, we're not We're not like going to wear the same things club or anything, if you're wondering. Sebastian, <laughs> this is a find by you. So you want to give me an intro to this video? Yes. The guy who you're seeing on screen, if you have it posted, is Brian Holtzworth, a conservative Roman Catholic. I have been following his channel for a while just to keep up with Catholicism. You know, he's a pretty young guy to see how younger Catholics think, what ma what matters to them, just to keep up to date. And then one day, as I was listening, scrolling down my video list, I find this one. It's like, oh, maybe he has something interesting to say, a question Protestants can't answer. Normally, I'm pretty amicable, you know, to stuff he says. Of course, I understand he's Catholic. We, I know our differences. This one, I took it to heart, though. We are Protestants, and it'd be a shame if we couldn't answer something. So. Yes, yes. Well, and as I, listen, as I was listening, I was, a, let's just say, appalled, and not and not 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 in a in a good way. I didn't feel not that I was challenged, but I was very disturbed by his arguments. I mean, frankly, I only listen to half of it because that's how I do things. I like to shoot from the hip here on these reaction <laughs> videos, at least. Um, but. Uh, the half that I did here, it seems like he gets right at the heart of the issue of justification, of salvation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I believe, if you've heard any of our Catholic videos, hear this, that the reason that we separate ourselves from Catholics personally here is not the idolatry and all the other garbage. We did a top five reasons why we're not Catholics. So you can see exactly how we list the things. Um, there are, we, you know, we don't like the idolatry and other things in the Catholic Church. However, the central reason that we reject the Catholic gospel and why we think they are an apostate church, not just a a bad church, but an apostate one, meaning they don't have the gospel, they're not saved, is their take on justification. They believe that you are justified by works. Um, and, and they will scream and shout and say, they, that's like a triggering phrase for them. So you need to rephrase that to mean something else. But this guy will make it pretty plain that that's what they believe. And of course, that is called anathema by St. Paul. So we'll watch, we'll react. Yes. Before we do that, feedback. though, huh? tell me more. How do you understand justification? So the... I mean, Protestant is such a huge thing, whatever. The, the true Christian, the gospel-living Christian position, and my position, is that uh, we did not deserve salvation. We did do nothing to deserve it. God looked on a particular people throughout time and decided, I am going to save them even though they aren't so great. He says this to the Israelites, and so we, being the next iteration of Israel, um, have the same exact promise that God looks on us and has mercy on us despite that we are gross. And he saves a select, elect group of people. Uh, and when he saves them, he not only grants them the ability to believe in him, but he also causes them to believe in him. He puts his spirit in them and makes them love God, makes them love God. So any that he starts to work in, he will complete the work in. This is a theme throughout scriptures. It's in the Old Testament. It's into the New. So we believe that God justifies by the death of Jesus Christ and that all of our sin is imputed to Christ on the cross. So all the evil that we have done in our lives was imputed at one moment in time to Christ, and that's why he died. That's why he was killed. The wrath of God was put on Christ. And that instead, as a great exchange, Christ granted us his righteousness. Mm -hmm. So the only reason that me or Sebastian or any other saint goes to heaven is not because of our works, but because of Christ's works. And so when God looks at us, he says, he gives the, you know, the accuser gets the long list, Satan gets the long list, or whoever's accusing gets the long list of sins that we have done. And then all of it is credited to Christ 
who stands before us. We hide in him and all of his righteousness is imputed to us and we're allowed into the kingdom. And we're already purged from our flesh and our spirits are made new already. So now we are sinless for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And as we go along and react, we also want to use, remember, the word of God. What has God said on these topics? What has God said on the matter? Has he spoken? Has he not spoken? We're going to try to stay as focused as we can on the word of God and see if either Brian aligns with God's word or if we do. So don't just listen to us because we're a bunch of smart guys with glasses. We're not that smart, but and we do have glasses. And the pink shirts. And the yeah. pink shirts, yes. Yeah. Yeah, especially because of that. <laughs> but rather, is what we're saying consistent with what God has already said on the matter? All right. Without further ado, let's kick them off. This is Brian Holtzworth. Oh. Mm -hmm. And I follow this guy. Yeah, such a great okay, vocal. let me just ease up a little bit on the confrontational antagonism of the title of this video. This is, after all, YouTube, and we have to have short, catchy titles. I get it. So mm -hmm. let me explain what I mean. I mean that when I was a Protestant, I couldn't have answered this question without some kind of a logical compromise. And that, may, that might be a shortcoming on my part, but as far as I can tell, it appears to be a shortcoming in Protestant theology. Oh, and by Protestants, I mean anybody who's affiliated with a church tradition that is descended from Luther's break with the Catholic Church. If you're someone who looks back at that historical controversy like I did when I first became a Christian, and you side with Luther on it, then you're a Protestant. If you don't agree with Luther's reasoning for rupturing Christend the heart of Christendom, um, then you should be Catholic. That's a video in and of itself, yes. a history there, um, as if Roman Catholicism was the heart of Christendom, even in Luther's day. Um, certainly not today either. Uh, but yeah, we, we side with Luther, so I think we, we land as Protestants. I'm not a Lutheran, neither is Sebastian, so it's not like we're truly descended directly from Lutheran, but, like, but, but we, did, we side with Luther versus... Uh, the Roman Catholic Church at that point. Mm -hmm. Or John Calvin. There are even people that came before both of them. Jan Hus, the Waldensians, Gottschalk, for crying out loud, in the right. 800s. So history has, the church has changed a lot throughout history. And for the record, it wasn't Luther who ruptured the church. He had no intention when he posted his thesis to disrupt, to um, rupture, create a schism. He wanted a simple debate. Right. And some guy with a printing press, though, said, oh, this is going to be good stuff. So spread like wildfire. But he had no intention to just rupture and create his own church. He wanted to reform the church from within. Right. Just to let you know. And we, we call the Council of Trent the moment the Roman Catholic Church veered off of true Christianity. Yeah, 1545, more or less. Rended the heart of Christendom, you might say. So in examining Protestant theology, that's where I look. What were the contentions of Luther and the people that rallied around him, which is documented in statements like, the Augsburg Confession. Okay, so with all of that said, the question that I don't think Protestant theology can answer as described by Luther and the Augsburg Confession is, can God commit injustice or be unjust in his dealing with us? And if you say yes to that, then I'm afraid you depart company with the vast majority of apostolic and creedal Christianity, which I agree. Uh, absolutely agree. And also, mm -hmm. I don't think God can be unjust. And I agree that you depart from the vast majority of, of regular old Christians. But the reason you get worried about that is not because you break with the rest of tradition. It's because you break with the scripture, with truth. Mm -hmm. um, and God cannot be unjust. Of course, he's only described as just and he doesn't do injustice. Sometimes he does um, evil, calamity. Um, but we know that that even in that is just. Um, so that being said, 
I understand what he's pointing to. That tradition is usually a good indicator of what the Bible says, but mm-hmm. it is not the end-all be-all. So it, it wouldn't matter if you were going against all of Christendom if you knew it was true um, from the scriptures. However, you know, usually it's a good indicator. Yes. Remember Athanasius contra mundum, against the world, right. when the majority of the elites were Arian, denying the equality of Jesus with the other name, Athanasius was standing up against right. all that behemoth. So... Yep, but all that to say, we agree with this premise and that God cannot be unjust, of course, again. Tell that God is the Logos, as described by St. John in his gospel, which means it is his nature to be reasonable and coherent. God cannot be incoherent, for it would violate his, his very nature and his unity. And I don't want to say what he says is true. Now, we have to be very careful. We say it for ourselves, too. It says reasonable. What standards are you going to use for what's reasonable? Right. Are you going? If you see something that's upsetting to our modern um, tastes in the Old Testament, are we being reasonable or is God reasonable? You have you really have to be careful when you use that word. I have to say so off. So here you're getting the vibe already of which direction he's going to go to. Yes, it's a man judged. Man judging God is always bad. Mm-hmm. And God, as Scripture routinely reminds us, is just. Mm-hmm. and therefore incapable of injustice without mm-hmm. being akin to the, the demonic divided house which Jesus says cannot stand in Matthew 12. It is Muslims who believe that God's sovereignty is so absolute that he actually can contradict himself. He could say that, that idolatry is bad yesterday and then tomorrow he could say that it is good and he could command it. Just for like Maybe. philosophy's sake. Um, we, we would not say that God is incapable of evil. Um, we would say that he does not do evil because that's what we know him not to do. And that's how he describes himself. Incapable, like, denotes that he's weak and that he's not sovereign. So I take the Muslim side on the fact that he's able to do it, but not the Muslim side in saying that he actually does injustice because, of course, he does not. Exactly. Exactly. God has never done evil. Mm-hmm. As if being incoherent and divided within himself somehow protects his unlimited power. All it actually does is reduce him to a mere will with no intellect, no no rational coherence, no moral goodness, just naked, indifferent will. Allah, as conceived by Islam, is the God of Nietzsche, not Jesus. So if you're a Christian, I hope we can agree that God cannot commit injustice without violating his own nature. But what then are we to make of God's mercy and forgiveness for our sins. Let me use a bit of a ghastly analogy. And honestly, this is where I think we get into the good meat here. Of the <laughs> to make this point clear. Imagine a man abducts someone you love and does unspeakable things to them before murdering them. He's eventually caught and brought to a criminal trial where he is found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But then during the sentencing, that same criminal pleads to the judge for mercy. And the judge says, well, Normally you'd get life in prison or the death penalty or something like that for such a heinous crime. But because I'm a merciful judge, it's okay. You're free to go. Now, as a family member of the victim, what would you say to that? Would you think this was a good judge or would you accuse him of injustice? I hope you'd say the latter and you would be right. But this is the problem with Protestant theology because Luther taught that we are justified and therefore saved by a mere declaration of God that has nothing to do with anything that we do. And there's the, the point. Yeah. 
he calls it a mere declaration of God. Well, that's not Luther's stance. Not at all. Uh, God, uh, Luther does not argue that God just declares you righteous. He argues that he declares you to be righteous and then enacts it. Uh-huh. The enacting of justifying people involved the death of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've heard of him, but kind of the core of the whole religion is that you believe in Jesus Christ and then you are saved. And so the way that God justifies when he declares somebody righteous is through the work of Jesus Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So not only does he pay for your sins with Jesus Christ, he also remakes you and brings you back to life in spirit via the Holy Spirit. And so your flesh still sins and you still will suffer a physical death unless the Lord comes before then. Um, but your spirit has eternal life now because of his ongoing work and you have been justified because of Jesus's work. So to say that it's a mere declaration of God is to belittle the gospel. Um, but continue. And, and notice, oh my gosh, the amount of Catholic commenters in our videos, and we did a whole debate on this, that <laughs> freak out, pull hair out when <laughs> Protestants accuse them of believing in works-based salvation and he, he just laid out the Catholic position, and thank you, maybe you disagree other Catholics with this man, um, but he says that Luther, you're justified by God alone. Catholics, you're justified by works plus God, which is how we understand the Catholic position and why it's totally contra to Scripture. Yes, and the Roman Catechism that I've quoted before, that we merit for ourselves the degrees of sanctification and eventually justification too. Right. Now, don't get us wrong. We understand that Catholics believe it's necessary that Jesus died, that it's necessary for his grace on people to be saved, that they're not Pelagians. We understand all that. We, we agree with those points, too. But we would say that they believe it's God and man, where we believe it is God, not man. Um, and we would quote scripture, I mean, out of our butts, and I think we'll leave a little bit for the rest of the video, but I would just go to the core verse that I would always go to for this is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, if you want to go the full thing, um, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And it goes on to talk about how God made us for good works. But it's only after that by his grace, the total mercy, no earning of our own, um, he gave us the faith that is also from him, as, as it says, these, these things are not of yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Purely a gift of God, and those are the things that actually save you, not the works. So not only did the works not earn the grace or the faith, but the grace and the faith are the things that save you, not the works. So those are two important points straight from Ephesians. In other words, this is where we clash. Mm-hmm. We are saved by faith first, and then the good works follow. That's where Catholics also disagree that no, 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 it cannot be that the good works follow. It has to be the good works, and then we'll, we'll let him get to it. Yeah, and, and again, know that we're not uh, antinomians. We don't believe in destroying the law. We believe that you should obey Christ, and anybody who's not showing good fruit is not a Christian. All that said, we still believe that you're justified by God, not works. Mm-hmm. That we are set free from the consequences of sin by a decree from God and nothing else. It even goes so far as to say that as far as salvation goes, we have no free will in the matter. We contribute nothing of our own will to that outcome. Everything from the act of faith to repentance to justification is a mere sovereign act of God that we do nothing to cooperate in. Cooperate. Keyword. That's what they would say. You have to cooperate with the grace of God in order to be eventually justified and sanctified. Of course, they would always they would always say that. You see, he has put the, his finger on the hinge upon which it all turns. And I would say, praise God that it is a declaration from him and that my salvation is not dependent on my own because knowing myself, knowing you, knowing you yourself, you viewer, you think you can actually earn on your own accounts the favor of God? Are you Thomas Aquinas? 
Are you St. John Chrysostom? Have you, are you Mother Teresa of Calcutta? Have you saved millions of people? I bet not. Maybe you have, but still that wouldn't do anything compared to what God could achieve right. with his own, you know, just with a, with a snap of his fingers. He could do infinitely more than any of us could. So we cannot earn any of his merit or any of his grace that way. It is a declaration. And because he has declared us righteous, as Luther would argue, we have no say on the matter. Where we would we can go in another direction with that. Mm-hmm. Praise God that we have no say in the matter, because otherwise we'll be on the road to hell. Right. And because we have been declared righteous by a mere declaration of God, we will do good works. Right. And in that way, we cooperate with God. Right. We cooperate in His salvation of us, but it's enforced by God. It's enforced cooperation. Like we're never. He's never going to fail to have us cooperate. So of right. course, we out of our real will obey god and love god but it's only after he changed our will to be one that obeys him it's not our old will it's a new will and so yeah our will does love god now um but we still need first of all the holy spirit's help throughout life as catholics would agree and then secondly like sebastian just said it's that cooperation is not what saves us it's just a a byproduct a good great glorious byproduct of his justification Mm -hmm. yeah and remember we go to scripture we go to ephesians we go to romans 9 on this we go to romans 5 which we can quote later where does he go we'll see God, according to this conception, is that judge who arbitrarily decides to set the murderer free with no apparent rhyme or reason and no repercussions for his actions. It is interesting that he says there's no repercussions for his actions considering Jesus Christ died because of those actions. So like, oh yeah, I forgot, you know, we worship Jesus, not Mary. As Um, he has icons of Jesus behind him. (laughs) I can remember, remember the cross. I don't know if you remember that whole thing. Uh Um, but the other weird thing that he says is that God arbitrarily decides. He's the arbitrary judge. He is the arbiter. You know, the reason that men can't be arbitrary is because arbiter means that you are the origin of justice. And mm-hmm. men are not the origin of justice. God is. But God is the origin of justice. So he is the arbiter. So, of course, his decisions are arbitrary because he, it, it's his, he's, he's the standard. You know, he's the one. He's the arbiter. So, uh, yeah, by definition, he would be arbitrary because he's the arbiter. Uh, yes, and in John, of course, even Jesus sacrifices himself on the cross for the punishment of our sins. Mm-hmm. And he also, and remembering too, the Lord himself says that I will take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So he is the one who takes the, our sin away on himself on the cross, dying for our sins, and gives us a heart of flesh. So again, this is from the scriptures. I'm not just making these nice things up. So we call anyone, if you hear these words and you believe them to be true, you believe Christ is Lord and that you cannot earn salvation by yourself, you cannot earn it at all, um, turn to the Lord and be saved and, and repent and he will change your heart. Um, the repentance is a sign of your justification, not the thing that justifies you. In fact, he's worse than that because sometimes he sets the murderer free and then other times he arbitrarily decides not to. In the case of eternal salvation, he just casts people into eternal punishment when he could have saved them. And this is an argument straight out of Romans 9, which is why we referenced it. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Because in Romans 9, the objector says the exact same thing. Paul lays out that God hated Esau and loved Jacob, and it was arbitrary before they were born, before they had done anything. That would be your definition of arbitrary, that God did this. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort. 
emphasis. Mm -hmm. But in God's mercy, for scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And then you might say then, how can God blame us? You know, if he's just going to do this. Well, Paul answers this speaking through the Holy Spirit. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? And that upsets people. I mean, Paul hits this exact argument. So don't pretend like he's not. I mean, Leighton Flowers and some other Christians, so-called, um, will take Romans 9 and, and try to figure out a way that it's not about this argument that we're having between us and the Catholic. But it clearly is about this exact argument. It's the one that comes up. So it's a natural argument to mm -hmm. arise out of looking at God's sovereignty and how he saves people. And Paul answers with pretty unsatisfying answers, probably to you, um, dear Catholic, and that is, uh, one, God mercies who he has mercy, so he is indeed arbitrary because he is the arbiter, so it's his right. And then two, how can he still um, hold people accountable when he's the one that made them the way they are? And then Paul says, basically, shut up, right? We don't know the ways of the Lord, that He that he's greater than us, that he's the potter and we're the pots. So <laughs> we could say the same thing to you. Um, I guess we'll be a little more gracious, but know that scripture doesn't even share that kind of grace. It just straight up tells you that that's the way God is. And if you don't like it, you can leave. Very important, the critical, critical. Many people, and I used to be this way, assume that God has to try his hardest to save everybody. Mm -hmm. God doesn't owe anything to anybody. He doesn't owe anyone salvation, nor mercy, nor grace. If you and I, we know both, we both know our own hearts. We know how evil we are even at night when we're laying down for bed. We know all the evil we do day and night, the things we think. Jesus even says, you know, if you call someone a fool, you have committed murder in your heart. If you look at someone with lust, you have committed um, adultery. The list goes on. Imagine all the idolatry we have done in our life when we have not put God first. We know our hearts. And you think that we deserve the compassion of God? Well, what have we even done to deserve the compassion of God? Right. Nothing is purely out of His compassion that He mercies whom He mercies, hardens whom He hardens. Amen. Now, to make a little bit more sense of this, we need to understand what are the consequences of sin. I'd like to highlight two, which I think summarize the whole. The first is estrangement from God, which we're all familiar as it's depicted in the book of Genesis, when the first humans begin in full communion with God, but after they defy his very clear instructions, their friendship with God is ruptured. And this estrangement isn't just the loss of some jolly friend that you enjoyed partaking in walks in the garden with. It's the loss of everything that is the fulfillment of our nature and desire, which is why we live this, this life restlessly trying to fill that void with pursuits that never satisfy. It's the loss of that thing which gives us our life and vitality, which brings me to the second consequence, which is suffering and death. Now, God's remedy to this situation was to offer us a peace this, treaty mm -hmm. that would restore communion and friendship with him by sending us his son as an ambassador who would reconcile all of humanity to the Father. So Jesus has become our intercessor and our advocate. 
let's be clear though when he says all of humanity that means like all the tribes like there's not um corners of the earth that god has decided to not redeem but that doesn't mean that he actually is redeeming into each individual which would be universalism because the bible is very 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 clear abundantly clear that there are some that are saved and there are some that are definitely not saved in fact there's even those called out in romans 9 or other places as i and not saving those people. They are marked out for destruction. I think it's in Peter, right? There's a quote from Second Peter. Uh, yes, yes. And that one, oh, I don't have it. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll find it for later. But yes, there are people in Second Peter, pretty sure it's chapter one. I don't have it, have it ready. But there are false teachers that their condemnation has been long awaited. And also, same with Judas Iscariot. He was the son of perdition. Yeah, it's always where... going to be lost, right? And the yes. beast and the false prophet, like whoever those entities or people are, um, they were always marked out for destruction. Mm -hmm. Satan was always going to be the betrayer, the great dragon. Like these, these creatures, these beings, these people are created for destruction. So when you think that that can happen, um, you are not right. And from what I just read too in Romans, Pharaoh says, for right. this very purpose, I raised you up mm -hmm. to slap you around, shame you for your arrogance, and also, you know, show my, display my power to the Jewish people for all ages to come. Yeah, that's Paraphrase. outside his direct question, but just, just addressing it, because yes. universalism seems to be really big in the Catholic Church right now, and it's totally wrong. And the means by which we are reconciled to God. But of the cons the two consequences of sin that I identified earlier, what does this new arrangement resolve or fix? I would argue only the first. It restores us to a kind of probationary friendship with God, but there's still a residue of estrangement. We don't live in full and perfect communion with him. And we certainly, we certainly still have the second consequence, which is suffering and death left fully intact. And I don't know why this is so pernicious and Protestants don't really knock this one out of the park because it should be knocked out of the park. And I'll try my best here. We, we actually have been freed from both, but spiritually because the flesh sinned against other flesh. So the consequence for fleshly sin is fleshly death. And Jesus Christ is going to resurrect. He's going to give us new flesh, but this flesh still needs to die. However, our old spirit also needed to die. Sins against God, sins against man. And so it did. And that's what baptism is symbolizing, that the Lord killed our old spirit. We have a new spirit, as Sebastian quoted from Ezekiel. He put in us, take out our heart of stone put in a heart of flesh. He took out our old spirit and gave us a new spirit, filled us with the Holy Spirit. So we have eternal life now. So says 1 John, all right, these things to you so that you may know that you have, you have presently eternal life. And so we spiritually don't have the consequences of death and suffering any longer. Our bodies, which are integral to ourselves, we are 50% our bodies. It's not like we aren't our bodies. Um, our bodies will still die because we're waiting the day the Lord physically resurrects the body. But to say that we haven't been freed from that consequence is to deny the resurrection of the spirit. And anyways, so Christ actually did both for us. We've been freed from both. We're just awaiting our bodies to, to die. And then surely we trust him for our resurrection. Mm -hmm. Paul does speak on that, that we will receive glorified bodies in, in heaven that are not sinful like what we are now. And it's super, super, super important to remember that because it goes to a bunch of other Catholic follies, um, namely purgatory, which says that they don't believe that you have really been brought into communion, perfect communion with God yet. And so when your body dies, you, your spirit is still flawed. Now, if your spirit's still flawed, when you meet God on Judgment Day, guess where he's sending you? Hell. That's mm -hmm. where he sends sinners, is to hell. Mm -hmm. He does not let anybody that's, that's flawed into heaven. 
Um, and he, there's no purgatory. It's never described in the Bible. It's hell. That's that's where you go. So if <laughs> you think you're meeting Jesus on Judgment Day flawed, <laughs> Lord have mercy on you, you because <laughs> you wouldn't have it. <laughs> um, you need to hide in Christ. You need to have a perfected spirit here. So am I perfect? No, because of the flesh. Um, but the Lord perfects the spirit. And, so, and he will perfect the flesh. So anyways, when we die in flesh, our spirit is then perfected because it was always hindered by this sin, sinful flesh. Um, does that mean we should like, hate the flesh before the flesh commits suicide? Um, definitely not the suicide because that's murder. But Paul says fighting against the flesh all the time. Of course we are. Mm-hmm. And to quote scripture on that, the Apostle Paul, who we would think Catholics, Orthodox, agree is some of the holiest, one of the holiest man that to ever walk the earth, besides Jesus, of course. He says in Romans 7, For I know what is good itself, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Mm-hmm. That is what we have been describing as our sinful body. Our spirit has been and is being been, and justified. Our minds are brought being regenerated, sanctified. But we're still going to die because we are still committing sins, as I'm sure any Catholic out there is still committing sins. Right. And we don't suffer and die arbitrarily or because God is some sort of a sadist who takes pleasure in the suffering of his creatures. Jesus said himself, if you want to follow me and be my... Old Testament, pretty sure it's Ezekiel again. I think, I think Ezekiel. I take no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. Yes. We agree. A disciple, then you have to pick up your cross and carry it. You have to deny yourself and embrace an instrument of torture and death. Why? Because God's mercy does not exclude his justice. And all. So it seems like the whole cross analogy goes whoop right over their head because that's that's the whole thing with the spiritual death. You take up your cross, you kill the, the spirit. And then you're raised again, just like Jesus is raised again. And of course, our bodies are not crucified and raised again until, until they are. I mean, <laughs> the Lord sees fit to crucify us. I mean, maybe not. Um, but the spirit is killed. That's why the Lord says, pick up your cross and follow me. And you, like die in spirit. You're going to die and be resurrected in spirit. That's the whole purpose of rebirth. It's the whole purpose of um, born again being a thing, right? So he tells uh, the Pharisee. Um, the Pharisee says, do I have to physically go up? you know, inside my mother again. And the Lord says, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, um, again, the analogy, the whole cross analogy seems to go way over their head and they take it and they make it somehow workspace, which is crazy. All you have to do is look around you to know this is true. Every believing Christian who has repented, been baptized and done everything that might be required of them, according to a particular Protestant tradition, still experiences some measure of estrangement from God, suffering in this life and eventually death. If we're already saved and destined for heaven, as so many Protestants continually declare themselves to be, why do including the Apostle Paul, don't we just go straight to heaven? Why are we still here? Either we're not saved, God enjoys arbitrary suffering, or that suffering is instrumental to our salvation. And this... Um, I'm not one to say what exactly the Lord is doing in totality because nobody knows what he's doing in totality. Who knows the mind of God? So I think he has many, many, many reasons why we're here in the flesh still. Um, But at least we know one thing, and that is he is glorified in our weakness. As Paul also says in Philippians and everywhere else, Mm -hmm. 
it's he, he longs to be in heaven. You know, it'd be great if he's in heaven. He's ready to die. But um, for the sake of the saints, or for the sake of God's purpose on earth, or for the sake of his weakness, glorifying God, he's okay, it's still good that he is here on earth. And so, too, say we all, right? We are here on earth and aren't in heaven yet, um, not because our spirits aren't ready. Our spirits are ready. It's because our bodies are still sinful, one. But two, God is still using us in the earth to his good pleasure. So do I know every reason he's doing that? No, of course I don't, because who knows all the fullness of God's mm. will. But he has made this clear that um, we have eternal life now. So that, that would be the spirit. And it is God who's in charge for of how long we live, by the way. In the, in the Psalms, King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that God has numbered our days mm-hmm. before we were born. So, Right. This is what the Catholic formulation of salvation and justification fully accounts for. It says that God extends his mercy to us through the advocacy of Jesus in his death and resurrection, and that we then, by our will, need to respond to it and embrace the consequences of our sins, which leaves God's justice intact. So like that analogy... Again, notice what he's quoting. It's the Catechism, not Scripture. Love to see where he goes for Scripture on that. Um, There are verses from Jesus where he talks about um, men will be judged according to their works. And we say, amen. Yeah, that's kind of the whole point is that you will be judged according to your works and you will be found lacking, right? Classic uh, line from God to the Babylonian king, right? You will be found lacking. You'll be measured you're found lacking. So none of our works, will, if we are measured by our own or our own works when we are on that day, we will be found lacking. We need to be measured by our works, which need to be substituted with Christ's works. That's the whole, the whole gospel. Um, so when you say that man is judged by his works, I agree. You'll be damned if you're judged by your own works. That's why you need to substitute for Christ. Doesn't the psalmist even say your works, speaking like God, <clears throat> your works are like filthy rags? So you're like presenting. Yeah, yeah, oh, I say, I say, my bad, my bad. I say it. So what are you going to do? Present a bunch of bloody rags to God and say, look at what I did with my life. What God says. I see this as if they were filthy rags. And there's even a, a verse in Isaiah, and I think you have it somewhere, where God says why he's, why he's first of all, I guess, keeping people around and why he chooses um some people. It's not for their sake, but for his own. That he's got some line. Oh, yeah. Line. Yep. In Isaiah 43, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Mm-hmm. He even says that again later, too, in another chapter in Isaiah. But why does God blot out our sins? For his own sake. And again, I would go to Romans 5. I keep going Romans all day, but Romans 5 has a section where it says um, that our righteousness, our, dis- our unrighteousness is imputed to Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. And um, yep, so get the right quote here. Yep, so I'll get from Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, past tense, we have been justified. Mm-hmm. The Roman Catholic, as we've been going over, even in the Catechism, don't just take it from me, go to the Roman Catechism, is that God empowers us to cooperate with him through our will, they, as we just said, and then as a result, he declares us righteous after the fact. Is that what the Bible says? Not at all. It says, God declares you righteous. We have been justified by faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then after that de- mere declaration, as he's called it, our good works will follow. It's not maybe, maybe, maybe they'll follow. No, they will follow. Mm-hmm. It will look different because humans are different. God has different purpose, purposes for different parts of the body but good works will follow in one way or another. Right. And if they don't follow on our basic human limitation, we have to say this to our Catholic friends, 
We cannot read people's minds. Mm -hmm. You can't guess or know who is a Christian, who's not. The only way for us, for the church to relate to one another is to see does a person produce good works? Does they, do they produce fruit? Right. And we can guesstimate if that person is a Christian or not. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole other story. And then also I'll say it from Romans 4, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Right. And this Catholic and Catholic teaching is saying the Lord imputes sin and then you have to cover your own sin because he only pays for a portion of your sin, right? He only pays for a portion and then he wants to cooperate for the rest. Here, who is the blessed man who the Lord does not impart sin to? Should, should be the Christian, right? But if he doesn't impart sin, that means you don't have to have works. It's just you're, you're forgiven totally. Analogy of the murderer, the judge might say, we receive your repentance and your contrition with gratitude, and this could provide a way for you to be reconciled with the community. But, but, you're still going to jail. You still have to suffer the consequences of your actions, or I am not a just judge. Good God have mercy. I mean, this is the core of the gospel that is just like whoop, way over his head or he's slapping it away. And that is, yeah, God will say the exact same thing to you, bearded man, right? He will say the exact same thing to you, any person who comes before him. He'll say, oh, wow, look at all those good works you did. Yeah, you still murdered somebody, right? You still committed adultery in your heart. You still committed murder in your heart. You still didn't love me with all your heart. So you're still going to have to go to jail. You're still going to have to go to hell. That's the consequence of sin. So you think the consequence of sin is light. It's a little, it's a little purgatory. It's a little time in there. It's 1,000 years, 10,000 years. Have a long purgatory lasts. No, it is hell. It's eternal condemnation because you've sinned against an eternal God. So you make light mm -hmm. of sin when you think that you can justify yourself via good works. No, the Lord will do the exact same kind of thing to you. He'll say, oh, there's a list of good works. Great. But you still sin. So you still have to go to, to hell. That's why you need your sins to not even be imparted to you. And that's the gospel that Jesus takes them. So if he takes them, God doesn't still impute them to you. He doesn't say, okay, thanks, Jesus, for taking away the death penalty, but you're still going to get like a like a whipping. No, it's it's to totally <laughs> imputed. It's not partially imputed. Catholicism teaches that we are justified as a process throughout this whole life. We just read the section from Romans 5 about being justified, past tense. You could argue that there are times when they use justification in an ongoing sense, whatever, um, but we know that there is a sort of justification that is that is past. Right? Mm -hmm. So we agree that there's sanctification, if you want to call that justification as a process going on, whatever. It's kind of confusing because <laughs> there's a moment of justification uh -huh. when uh -huh. you are justified. Um, but I'll grant that you could you could be confusing and, and use justification as a word for sanctification. But any God-fearing Christian, so not Catholics, must admit that you have been justified at some point. There is some mm -hmm. justification that is done and sometimes well into the next as we are cleansed from our sinful nature ah, by forming new good habits of loving God and others as God loves us. And how do we love others? By showing them the same mercy that God shows us. Scripture clearly and unequivocally says, and this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 6, 15, that unless we forgive others, God will not forgive us. This is how God's justice and mercy are reconciled. I want to make sure that I'm hearing that right. Um, so he thinks that we earn our salvation via forgiveness for others. That's how his justice and mercy are reconciled, that we forgive others so God forgives us. Yeah, he should be more careful if 
I don't, it's that's really what it sounds like yeah that's not how it works forgiveness is a fruit of the spirit so that's why jesus points it out as a fruit of the spirit that if you don't have this fruit of the spirit you're not going to the kingdom because you're not a true tree that's all he means he doesn't mean that that forgiveness is what forgives you it's just not that it's in the lord's prayer mm-hmm. lord forgive us our trespasses as we forgive these who trespass against us but it doesn't mean like now that i've done that and please forgive me it means like i too will do what you have already done for me that's what it always has been No amount of confessing that Jesus is King and Lord of our lives will cover over a failure to do this. Like, imagine a person who... Well, that is, that is, without being any, without being sarcastic or anything, that actually goes against what the Lord himself says in John. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I am he, meaning Yahweh. Mm -hmm. So part of your salvation, even if you want to say you have to love others, forgive others to show you fruits of the Spirit... Casting that aside, you do have to profess Jesus as the Lord of the universe. So, And he seems to think that the Lord will not forgive unforgiveness, um, which um, yeah, good luck getting to heaven because all of us have had some, right. some amount of unforgiveness in our lives. And so if you think there's no um, protection from it in Christ, well, yeah, I guess you have a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you don't trust in Christ, mm-hmm. you will not receive his imputation of righteousness mm-hmm. and you will have to pay for your own sin. That is the main difference also with Catholics that they believe in Catholicism, the catechism, and historically they have believed that God can impute sins over and over to you, even if you've been a good Catholic for 90 years. And when you turn 91, if you commit a mortal sin, God can charge that to your account and you die the next day, you're going to hell. So again, I just, I read from Romans, don't take it from me, take it from the apostle himself, inspired by God, speaking on behalf of God to the church that blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Mm-hmm. Once you have been justified, God will not impute sin on you. He's speaking of Christians here. Blessed is the man, that blessed man, or anyone who trust, believe, repent, follow God. So and praise God if you are in the Catholic Church, but you understand that part of the gospel, because that's where we say Catholics as a whole are not saved, but individual Catholics may be saved, is if they understand that the Lord imputes sin to Christ and no longer to you if you're under him. So if you understand that about the gospel, praise God, you have been saved, your eyes have been opened, the scales have fallen off, fully trust God as your savior. Not to just promote wickedness, and, and Paul even talks about it in Romans. Again, natural things you think of, he, he talks about them in Romans, but that's the whole reason we are not Catholic. That's the reason we do these um, rebuttals of the Catholic Church. It's exactly what this young man is talking about. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that he's laying it out, because this is the Catholic position of lay Catholics and professional YouTube Catholics, um, and some of them try doing acrobatics to hide this plain speaking of it, but this is a totally plain speaking of it, and it is wrong. Declares fidelity to a king, but convinces himself that in order to honor that confession, all he has to do is admit that the king is the king, but then he doesn't actually have to keep the laws and the commandments of the king. And so on a regular basis, he's in the habit of breaking the king's laws. It would be a legal fiction to say that this person has faith in the king or that they are a faithful subject of the king. And we actually would agree. Yeah. He's talking about antinomians. Yeah, anti-lordship people. Uh, <laughs> are we antinomians? We are not. Was Luther an antinomian? Nope. Calvin? Nope. Gottschalk? Nope. <laughs> John Hus? Charles Spurgeon? Nope. No. No. The vast majority of, uh, I would even say historical Protestants, people who are confessional Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, etc., you name it, they did not, they would reject this. There's a small French 
group that we have even done a reaction not a reaction they would do a reaction yeah steven anderson he's uh, yeah he's anti lordship mm-hmm. yes and we have done an episode just purely on commenting on anti-nomian nomian uh, following the law they're anti-law they say that all you have to literally do is just say i believe in jesus and you can do whatever you Deuces, want in your yeah. life you can sin as much as you want no problem we reject that luther rejected that calvin rejected that and all the friends have come ever since then so please don't say protestants are antinomian because we're not we just say that that being nomian <laughs> believing the law is good and trying to obey it um, first of all you're not going to do it perfectly um, and therefore you still need christ's payment that's mm-hmm. and you catholics say that you need christ's payment and you need to be um, perfect in your law and that if you aren't perfect in your law you have to pay for the imperfection of the law somehow which would be hell and the reason for purgatory is that they're like, oh, that's unfair. <laughs> yeah, because you should be a Christian that should be able to be saved, right? And every single person continues to sin after justification. And therefore, you, that, that's why justification is the way it is. It's not justification and works. It's just pure justification mm-hmm. of Christ. He would be nothing more than a treasonous liar and a rebel. Yeah, and what, mm-hmm. what should the king do with a person like that? If he was a just king, he would exile him from his kingdom. Sweet but cares. if that person repents and agrees to, to being reformed, demonstrated through a lifetime of effort meant to shed his rebellious nature, Gosh. then the king could give him a conditional status as a citizen of his kingdom with the hope that one day he will be fully reformed and could be received as a full member of his kingdom. And in so doing, the king could be both merciful and just simultaneously. But the Lord fulfills the conditions. So yes, your, your salvation is conditional on being good, but the Lord makes you good. That's the whole mm-hmm. gospel, right? That Jesus justifies you, that all your injustice put on him, and then he makes you righteous. So there's no if. I mean, the, the if is fulfilled by God. He says, if you're good, and then he makes you good, you know? If you get on this plane, you'll go to Budapest, and then he shoves you on the plane, and he brings you to Budapest. He doesn't say like, hope you're going, you know, hope you get on the plane, I built it for you. He, he pushes you to it. He's a, he's a competent and, and robust God. Um, unlike the God of Catholicism, which again, Roman Catholicism is in a unique position that it was a biblical church and it is slowly but surely edged off until it finally veered off in the Council of Trent. So um, it's closer than churches like Mormonism or whatever that never were with the gospel, but um, it's sad to see them sticking so hard to the thing that makes them not a Christian church. We're not just anti-Catholics, please don't get that impression. If you listen to our other episode, I enjoy quoting from church fathers, mm-hmm. medieval writers, even, even, I hate to admit it, but sometimes even Thomas Aquinas, so. <laughs> Rarely, I mean, you Rarely. credit where credit's due, huh? Yes, so they had a good run. They had 1,500 years. You know, that's, that's pretty good. Very so good. it's very, very solid church. And then just jumped into the abyss in 1545, mm-hmm. Council of Trent. The condition being the fulfillment of his ability to keep the laws of the king by training and cooperation cooperation with a program of reform. And that's what the church militant is. It's a program of reform that gives us access to God's grace and friendship so that our rebellious nature may be perfected so that we can eventually enter into full citizenship into his kingdom. That's why the church implores us to... So question then, is there a single Catholic that has been perfected? This is like this whole, like, you're only partially a citizen right now. What does that even mean? Like, that's not, that's never a concept in the Bible. They're partially a citizen. Um, there's the already and the not yet, whatever, if I was going to get real churchy. Um, but Paul writes that you have a citizenship in heaven. You have a citizenship in heaven, not you have a contingent sticker that might get you citizenship in heaven. You have partial citizenship. You know, you've got half the passport stamps. You, you have 
citizenship in heaven. There's no partial justification. There's no partial citizenship. And you quoted one of the letters of John writes, I write this so that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life, right? And in that same letter, I remember doing a great in-depth Bible study on this. God, he, John talks about God having adopted us to his family. So it's not like we are partially adopted. Right. We're either adopted or we are his enemies. We're either his friend. You got the adoption papers. And we're going to try harder than that. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be my son. See, if you want to talk about cruelty, mm-hmm. ironically, and I don't mean this to be cheeky or, you know, sarcastic. In Catholicism, God is cruel because he is holding the adoption papers. You know, you got to try harder. Come on, chase me. Chase me. I'm running. I'm getting away. Bad insurance company. Yes. Right. Need Allstate or or Progressive or whatever. I forget (laughs) who that is. Yeah. Yeah. Pray and to receive the sacraments, which are medicine for our rebellious souls and to perform acts of charity and love for others as God does for us. All of which is entirely biblical. Jesus said himself in Matthew 25, 45 to 46, that if we don't love, if we don't perform acts of love for the least among us, he will tell us to uh, depart from him into eternal punishment at our judgment, in spite of any confession that he is our Lord and King. You're right. The words confessional are not the, the act that saves you, just like the acts are not the thing that saves you. The Lord saves you. And as a consequence of being saved, you do good works. So we agree that those who do good works are saved. And those who don't do good works are not. But it's not the works that save them. It's the fact that Jesus made them good. And Jesus making them good is what mm-hmm. saves them. And then they do the good works. So you're looking at what Jesus is describing as the visible things of salvation and mm-hmm. thinking that those are the things that save you when it's not. That is critical. It is faith. Not even faith is the thing that saves you. It is God who saves you right and the result of that is through faith over and over in scripture mm-hmm. to produce to carry out good works right. so it's all connected but the initiator and the 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 oh in hebrew so i love this the author and finisher of our faith who's the guy who shoved into the plane to moscow jesus who's the one piloting the plane jesus who's the one who's going to receive you jesus yes did you enjoy the flight Ho- hopefully Uh, Moscow, heaven on earth. (laughs) What a place. Fine, Pyongyang. Fine. Ah, Pyongyang. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you—he's the one who puts you on the journey. He's the one who carries you through the journey. He's the one who receives you at the end of the journey. Mm -hmm. Amen. And our reason should affirm this as well. Take Luther's formulation where those who are saved are just declared justified and righteous in spite of the fact that they don't keep God's commandments. Do you keep God's commandments? <laughs> Oof, man. You know, I, I wish I wish there were scripture on this. Oh, yeah, there is, where he says God justifies the ungodly. You know, the thing that Joseph Smith rewrites because he doesn't get it and wants to do workspace salvation. Mm-hmm. It says that God justifies the righteous. God justifies the ungodly, the unrighteous, whatever your translation says. So, yeah, he, he does that. That's the gospel. So, imagine that the final judgment occurred right now, and everyone who is justified through faith, according to Protestantism, just goes straight to heaven. But... They're still themselves. They haven't changed in any way. Oh my goodness, that is so sad if Catholics really do believe that, or at least him in his case. Did we all miss the memo about glorification, right. our new bodies, mm-hmm. new minds, new hearts? Do... Yep. Okay. They, they still Enough lie, sound. they still gossip, they fornicate. They're still. But they wouldn't because of 
the glorification that we just talked about, right? Your, your body is the one that does all those things. Since your body dies, that's kind of how you enter the new kingdom. Proud, lazy, and greedy. And these are the souls that will stand next to you in heaven? They won't. How is that going to be a peaceful paradisal kingdom? It sounds exactly like what we have here, just transported somewhere else. Unless unless those souls are perfected first. That's what Catholicism and the Bible teaches. We don't enter into God's kingdom until we are made perfect first. And the way we are made... First of all, kingdom's here, buddy. Yeah, there's a couple of weird things about that. But uh, yeah, you um, you will as soon as you die, if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you die, then you still have a marred soul. But if you have a marred soul when you stand before Christ on Judgment Day, you're going to hell, not anywhere else. Made perfect is by picking up our cross, embracing the consequences of our sins, which include suffering and death, and by seeking God's grace continually for the help we need to endure until the end, as St. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.7. Only Catholicism accounts for how God's justice and his mercy can coincide as expressions of his goodness. Apparently it doesn't. Honestly, like the whole, the whole you think that it's bad for God to be inconsistent. Amen. You think it's bad for God to be unrighteous. Amen. But then you think that the Lord can look at a sinner and say, you may have murdered grandma, but I saw the time you, you put the shopping cart back in the place where you're supposed to put it. So come on in, buddy. Like you, you rest to do it, right? Or maybe you put it back a thousand times, you know, because the grandma's probably worth like at least a thousand times you put the shopping cart back. Um, that would be an unjust, capricious, arbitrary God. No, our God is true and just and the penalty for sin is death. That's why Jesus died. That's why he's the payment for our penalty, not putting the shopping cart back or 6,000 Hail Marys or whatever other good works you can put in there. Mm -hmm. None the good works don't make up for bad works. Protestant theology leaves us with a God who cannot be both just and merciful at the same time. I think we kicked that hey, one. Hey, thanks for watching. Three well, Sebastian, it was worse than I thought, but it's, it's the... <laughs> the issue so I, was, I think it's a good video it's a great video because it plainly describes the issue plainly gives catholic objections and it plainly describes catholic teaching so it was none of the obtuse things that we see from trent horn and <laughs> others um, that are always trying to make excuses and apologize for the catholic church this was pure catholic doctrine and um said for the everyman and that catholic doctrine utterly rejects the gospel which um obviously is why we're passionate mm -hmm. the gospel is simple all of those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be imputed his righteousness upon him or herself. God will no longer impute any sin because Jesus took that upon himself with his death on the cross. He is our high priest as we speak right now, interceding on our behalf for the fathers, one as Hebrew says, who died once for all mm -hmm. in a bloody manner. And there's no need to represent him over and over again, his once and for all sacrifice very strongly emphasized in the letter to the Hebrews. And then all of those who, has repent, who have repented and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation will be used by God himself through the Holy Spirit to produce good works. And people come in all shapes and forms. Your works are going to look very different sometimes from other people. Great. God is acting through you in his own ways. We're happy to be his servants. Anyone who is born again, who is trusted in the Lord, is happy to serve him however way he or she can. And then we await for God to return and establish his new kingdom on this very earth, giving us new glorified bodies, as Paul wrote, I believe it's in Thessalonians, I believe Thessalonians, goodness, first Thess Thessalonians or second, one of those two. 
right. we'll get glorified bodies uh -huh. and there's not going to be any sin in god's new kingdom it's going to be great i'm going to worship him and enjoy him forever that's the call that we give to all of here in the found cause anything you want to add that's why we found our cause and serve the lord jesus christ i've been michael the man behind the machine and to my right your left has been sebastian the bookkeeper thank you for listening if you want to see the rest of our episodes you got to go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for listening pleasure that is audio only though and if you're listening on audio you're not going to see our pink shirts so you <laughs> got to go to youtube you got to go to, to facebook and look us up there we're also on itunes spotify and wherever else you might listen to your podcast so until next time we talk about something completely different i'm sure thanks for listening bye-bye mm -hmm. like uh yeah, Jesus and Mary right next to each other. Equal height. It's kind of like a Texas flag situation going on. I don't like that. <laughs>